one of the great Siddhas in India, Saraha, said from the very beginning the samsara never started to exist. So one may wonder how to get free. And if one has any doubt, Long Champa may just inform us not to take any naive attitude. He said the fool try to get rid of samsara and try to reach nirvana. According to Buddhist philosophy, the world does not exist really. That's why any attempt to get rid of something and to reach something which means that one would give credit to the world and in a sense acknowledge or believe in its real existence. Yet one may wonder if it is so then what does give the power to the world to bind us? Why do we may feel or experience ourselves as being bound? Is it some outside power, some demons, or Mara, in the Indian tradition, who is bringing illusion in our mind that we are bound in this world? So where does the world get the power to bind us and to make us suffer? power that the world has to bind us and to make us suffer, to limit us, is in our mind. It's just by the grasping of our mind that we give this power to the world and to the sense of self. Just by the grasping of the mind. Said that <coughs> the grasping of the mind is like the coal which may turn water into ice. The grasping of the mind change that which is not concrete into solid object and a solid world. Just by the grasping. We may understand by that that the task in meditation <coughs> is actually to develop a mind which does not grasp. And there are many techniques in the Buddhist tradition. In all the different Buddhist countries, but actually they all come down to non-grasping. Even the very sophisticated visualizations in the Tibetan tradition of seeing a deity and mandalas are only for the sake of non-grasping.
if we <coughs> take a few of the way that some practitioners are trying to get beyond this grasping, first we may take one aspect, one approach, which was practiced in Tibet, especially in the Gelupa tradition and also in the Sakyapa tradition. It is the way of the logician. It is by a very deep reasoning, by logical analysis, trying to bring the conceptual mind to an impossible position. Leading the mind in such a way that finally the mind cannot grasp anymore. All the work of the great Buddhist philosopher like Nagarjuna are pointing to that. This will give you one example of Nagarjuna's way of reasoning that you may enjoy it. He says, we may come back to Sarah saying that from the beginning the samsara never started to be, that he never came into existence. Then in this line, Nagarjuna said, the existence, because it exists, is not produced. The non-existence, because it does not exist, is not produced. So what else, which would be neither existent nor non-existent, could come into production? Therefore, nothing ever is being produced. Trying to analyze very deeply the notion of truly existing. In the monastery of Tibet, monks would debate on such a reasoning and sometimes reach clear realization. I remember Geshe Rabban speaking about their training in Sarah Monastery in Lhasa. They were debating all the night and as it was very cold during the winter, they would put themselves into the sand, they would put some sand over their knees and legs and debate all the night. But one monk would stand up and start to ask questions and one or two or three monks will answer. Then after some time they will change. And he said that sometimes when they would be in a very deep questioning, then one monk suddenly would just withdraw and sit very quietly in meditation on the side. Suddenly something maybe has broken in his dream of grasping. And he said some monk would realize the empty nature of the world through this kind of practice. That's the way of the logician for the logician type of mind who like to think in complex matters. So it's not a way to bring up, build up more concepts, but in a sense really to go to the end of concept, where there can be no more grasping. The second way is the way that we know as Vipassana, also Vipassana is a vast term in all the Buddhist tradition, which is just meaning 
a clear vision or deeper vision for any development of wisdom will entail a practice of vipassana but in this tradition that we know then <coughs> one would observe the world and the experience in a very precise way developing a mind very precise to be able to see really at some level the nature of the world to see that everything is changing changing very fast that one cannot hold into anything for any duration of time seeing that since things are changing so fast then there is no satisfaction to be expected from any situation or from the world or from any inner experience from this fast changing experience in this nature then also one would realize that there is no self-entity which can go from one instant to another instant since things are arising and vanishing so fast in meditating and seeing the deeply the characteristic of the world and of one's own inner experiences then one would realize that there is nothing that can be grasped at not possible for the mind to grasp at any object, any experience, any phenomenon then the mind realizing that very clearly would go beyond grasping from a very deep realization of those characteristics one certainly has to say that to see clearly those three characteristics that already require development of the mind grasping less and less and less another way realizing the true nature of the world its empty nature is by inquiring into the nature of the grasper itself and to see if the grasper or the mind has any true possibility or true capacity of grasping at anything by realizing the nature or the true nature of the mind or the grasper this time then one will realize also the nature, the true nature of the world which is perceived and of the perceiver it is if I would tell you that last night I saw an elephant, a gorilla, and a cow they were playing cars in a car you would wonder if I am really not seriously mentally disturbed well they asked me where was it, I said well it was in my room last night I was lying on my bed and I was asleep I said oh that was just a dream so when we say it was a dream we understand then 
that the nature of what was perceived by this mind was something which was not real. Because saying it's a dream, we understand now the amount of reality that can be expected from the dream perception. So inquiring into now the nature not of the dream mind, but uh, of a mind perceiving the world in day life, inquiring into that we may understand the degree of reality of what is perceived, what is known. The state of mind of the perceiver being very important. There is a small Zen story describing that in a sense. It is near Kyoto and a samurai want to visit a Zen master. He goes to the hill, to the monastery, and asks to see the master. Then he is well received, but when the samurai is in front of the Zen master, he starts to abuse him. He said, you are just a pig. You eat like a pig, and you dress like a pig, and you walk like a pig. Just abuse him. Well, the Zen master looked at him and said, well, you are just like a Buddha. You speak like a Buddha, you walk like a Buddha, you stand like a Buddha. So the samurai is a little bit surprised because he is maybe proud of being a samurai, but he would not imagine himself to be a Buddha. So he asked the master, I said, well, why do you say that I am a Buddha? Why do you call me like that? Then the Zen master said, well, you see a pig on his pigs and a Buddha on his Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> So it is very important to question the nature of the mind, of the perceiver, to know the reality of what of that which is perceived. So what is the mind? We use different words, word, and sometimes English is very rich with those words, much more than the French, and sometimes even more than than Eastern language. Although in the Buddhist philosophy they still had to give specific meaning to the different words. Let's inquire what we call, call mind. Mind is what sees, sees form, what hears sound, what explains tactile or bodily sensation, what can taste <coughs> food, smell different fragrance and that which knows thoughts. It can know in different ways <coughs> and also know in a way of being connected with some emotion when those perceptions do arise and that may be <coughs> sadness or happiness with a pleasing state of mind or unpleased state of mind 
a different characteristic to the going along with the way that the world is piercing. And all that is the, the mind. That which is happy or sad, that is the mind. That which is angry, that is the mind. That is sees form, that is the mind. Hear sound, that is also the mind. And think thoughts, that's the mind. Sometimes in the Tibetan tradition, one uses some terms saying that when the mind is thinking many thoughts, it is called the moving mind. When there is no thought, it is called the abiding mind. And that which knows if the mind is thinking or not, that is awareness. A way of thought of speaking, because that may be perceived very well in our meditation. know how to realize, how to understand the nature of the mind. If we are concerned by what is perceived, by the sight, by the shape, color, by the different sounds, by the different quality of the space, then one, what will, one will not know the, the mind, one will just know the shape, the color, and sound. One will just be aware of what is known by the mind, not the mind itself. It is like if we imagine a pond surrounded by trees and at times during the year the leaves are changing of colors then when reaching the pond one may actually see reflection just see leaves red and yellow or green and some maybe darker spots now if one is so much concerned with those colors then one does not see the water and if the pond is very quiet there is no small waves then one may even not realize that is water if one were to take a picture not having any sky on the picture just trees up and trees down and one may bring that home and not know what is way upside down trees up trees down one cannot see the water because one is just concerned or fascinated by the reflection. If one is concerned in following after the contents of the mind, the shape, the sound, or the taste, or the contents of the thought, then one will not be able to realize the nature of the mind. Now, does it mean that one need to get rid of all the content, one will go to these ponds and start to try to get rid of the leaves, try to get rid of the reflection of the leaves by moving the water. Say, I want to see the water, so you start to move the water around and hoping that you will get rid of the reflection. So in one's meditation, when one tries to get rid of the experiences, 
is like trying to get rid of the reflection into the pond. Trying to get rid of thoughts or of noise that one may hear or of bodily sensations that one may feel are disturbing. Trying to get rid of any of those experiences is like trying to get rid of the reflection in the pond. That is not helpful and that may keep us busy for a long time, then we will not be able to realize the nature of water in the pond or the nature of our mind. Any attempt to transform anything in our experience, in our meditation, that means that we are not concerned by the nature, we are only concerned by the reflection. We are concerned by what is reflected. Anyway, we may try to be skillful, intelligent, trying to help the meditation here and to stop it there. That is because we are concerned with the content, not with the mind. And that in itself will bring distraction, and that in itself will prevent us from realizing the nature of the mind. The way that one may sometimes in one's meditation try to get rid of thoughts is not something which is only the case for us meditators in the West, not understanding how to meditate because it's not our tradition. In many texts we find that even at the time of Gampapa, which I think is something like the 13th century, or even earlier, he said that he has many disciples who complain because they cannot stop the mind. They cannot stop the thought. So they come to him and he said, well, they don't understand how to practice meditation. Then they try to get rid of thoughts. He even goes farther. Father, not only him, Jigma Limpa also later on will say the same. He said that actually the thought, if one does not cling to them, one is not misled by them, by believing they are concrete or they are the object themselves, then they will help to reveal the true nature of the mind. He said, rejoice, thought they are like food for the meditation to bring the clarity of the nature of the mind. John Bupa, 13th century, and Jing Malin in 18th or 19th century, which is the same, and certainly we may find many other quotations telling exactly the same. not stopping the functioning of the mind. So that it will just lead to some state of dullness if we were to stop the functioning of the mind. If our aim was to stop all the thoughts, not allowing them to arise anymore, then that will not lead to a state of wisdom. That will be a state of subtle confusion. what need to be done in meditation then
if one rests just in the present moment, not bringing concept of the past, not anticipating what could arise in the future, just resting in the present moment, not also trying to elaborate what's happening in the present moment, bringing concept and telling, oh, that's the mind, <coughs> that's not the mind, which again, that will be, all those movements will be holding to the content. It will be like really looking at the red color of the leaves in the pond and then being concerned with that. If one say, oh, that's a good meditation, that's a bad meditation, any judgment that one may have. Actually, all those thoughts, they are also the mind. Good meditation and a bad meditation are exactly, the thoughts are exactly the mind, in the same sense. There is not, when you say the good meditation is more the mind, and when you say the bad meditation is less the mind. Both are the mind. When one tries to manipulate or interfere in one's meditation, then one keeps a fragmentation. It means that if one wants to get rid of thoughts, for example, it means that one imagines that the mind or the thoughts are outside of the mind and that one can push them out and push the thought out. One does not realize actually that the thought, they are the mind and they are the thinker. Then how can the mind try to get rid of the mind? The mind try to get rid of the mind means that it is a split in our experience opposing one side to another side, a thinker to the thought. And then the thinker may try, or the observer may try to get rid of some of the contents of the mind. Any attempt to manipulate will always keep this duality in our experience. And if we keep this duality in our experience, then anything arising will be experienced as being an obstacle. Because we take a standpoint of fragmentation, of opposition. This opposition of a subject and object, either as an outer perception or inner perception of the thinker and the soul, if you wish, is what I have called yesterday the profane attitude, where the profane is that which or the one who stands in front of the temple, not in the center of the temple. So keeping this attitude, keep us outside of the nature of the mind or the deeper deepening of our experience. <coughs> not fighting to avoid what is arising, even when the sense of an observer or a meditator 
or thinker may arise, but just rest in the thinker, the observer. When then just rest in the observer or the thinker, then at this time one does not cultivate a sense of duality. developing a sense of balance in our practice by not reacting, either clinging to some aspect of our experience or trying to project some other aspect, then the mind may become quieter naturally and this sense of duality will not be perpetuated. At times a sense of clarity or even some experience of bliss may arise and even no content in the mind anymore. The absence of any thought. That is not because they've been cultivated, but because one is trying to reach them or to be concentrated on them. But naturally when the mind is resting on itself, then those experiences may arise. Near those experiences, they are still, when grasped at them, they are still just contents of the mind. They are just, there will be a perpetuation of very subtle concepts. So any of those experiences arising, then there is no reason to cling to them. not clinging to them, then one may, at this time, not grasp anymore, and then the mind will be experienced at this time as being clear and empty, having no true nature, yet being able to perceive. Perceiving, knowing, yet having no true nature. by the natural resting of the mind on itself. Now when one says the natural resting of the mind on itself, we start already to have a picture of two things. There is the natural resting going to rest on itself. And that's the trick of the language. Just every experience arising, not being manipulated or grasped. two characteristics of being clear, between knowing, and having no true existence. The experience before of clarity, bliss, and absence of soul, if it is grasped at, then the sense of that does exist, although it's also clear and empty, the sense of that it is something existing, that 
will be the ground on which all the further confusion may arise again. And not grasping the mind either as being existing or non-existing, then there will be no grasping and there is, at this time there will be no ground for confusion to arise again. There is a Zen way of expressing that. We try to link it with the nature of the mind. One monk goes and sees his teacher and asks him, what is the nature of the mind? What is the, what is the Buddha? And the, the master answers, the mind is the Buddha. The monk is happy, the monk is happy and goes, meditate for a few years, and then start to question and he's not so happy anymore with this answer. And he goes again into his teacher and says, well, what is a Buddha? And the teacher says, no mind, no Buddha. So then says the monk is happy and go back to his monastery. Now we have here two statements, the mind is a Buddha and no mind, no Buddha. So we may wonder, which one is the true answer? Monk was given two answers. The mind is a Buddha or no mind, no Buddha. So is it the mind is a Buddha or no mind, no Buddha? And we may just answer yes. not grasping at the mind <coughs> and not grasping at emptiness. <coughs> so we'll just sit a minute quietly, not trying to do anything special. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.